outside of a few like really remarkable people in the world, you know, like the Beyonce's of the world, no one gives a damn. Everyone cares about themselves. So we always wanted to try to focus on our customers and, and serving them and giving them the content that uh, would bring value to their lives rather than trying to, to make ourselves celebrities. Greetings everyone, my name is Julie Masters and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement or a nation. Now, if there's a few words this year that I think we would possibly be grateful to never hear again, then I think they would probably be these three. Pivot, reinvention, and digital deep end. Yeah, that's that's three words, but let's just say it's one. I feel like for many of us as individuals and as brands, we went into this year, the year of 2020, with a long list of activities that we knew needed to be done. We knew that we should be doing, but with a general feeling that we had time on our side. We had at least a few years to figure out how to start telling epic stories online, how to compete with Netflix by making our pitches and presentations utterly compelling, how to transition our sales strategies to include new market segments that we couldn't reach face-to-face, how to embrace different business models like subscriptions, memberships, and digital tribes, and perhaps most foundationally, how to start translating what we know as experts, our expertise, our messages, in order to take our target audience on an unskippable journey. Well, those years turned into months, which turned into weeks, which for many of us eventually became days to turn around some of these changes that we we thought we had years to handle. And for those who did it well, who will come into 2021 with a new edge that they didn't have at the beginning of this year, If you look closely enough, they all tend to have at least one thing in common. And that one thing is this. They, at some stage in that kind of panic period, decided to go out to the edges, to the fringes, to the people and the brands who are in completely different industries to theirs. People and brands who have been perfecting these strategies for years, totally outside of their own space. And they just paid attention. They paid attention to what works. They paid attention to the lessons that other people had already learned. And so that's what we're here to do today. My guest this week is Eric Bantholz. Eric is the founder of Beard Brand, a men's grooming company that wouldn't seem to be my natural habitat. However, I have been watching these guys closely for years now as they blaze a trail in what is traditionally known as an overcrowded space. Along with his co-founders, Eric bootstrapped Beerbrand into a high seven-figure company by focusing on, in their words, badass products, digital storytelling, collaborations, and building a community of fever pitch fans. As part of his journey into a new age of storytelling, Eric also built a YouTube channel. Go check it out dedicated to only answering the questions of his target audience. And for anyone who's a longtime listener, you'll have heard me banging on about the importance of understanding the questions of your target market before. Now, this channel has close to 250 million views, 1.5 million subscribers, and which in and of itself now provides a fairly sizable independent income stream. In this conversation, we dive into 
pivoting, there's that word again, from budgets to beards. Eric's journey starting out as a financial advisor and how he then decided to pivot and find his next breakthrough idea. The myth that if you build it, they will come. Anyone seen that movie? And the truth, the truth of it, that the roadmap is often more valuable to your target market than the destination itself. Why focusing only on how-to videos on YouTube was the secret to their success. How to forget the idea that everything we produce needs to be high production and perfect in order to create engagement. And why what works on YouTube, and I would argue most other platforms, is actually the exact opposite. And finally, authenticity versus intention. How during one of the most difficult periods of his life that we talk about, he made the decision and continues to make the decisions about what and what not to share. What I would love you to reflect on while you listen to Eric is how the path to cut through, it's not a straight line, right? It's a series of listening to your gut, making moves, reassessing and building things when you have no immediate evidence that it will work. And the most significant moments, the ones where you take leaps forward that you could not have imagined, they aren't the result of a this plus that equation, or at least not in my life and not in the life of anybody that I've come across. You can rarely pinpoint the exact things that make particular doors open. Apart from this one, this one exception, you have to start. You have to accept that you will get it wrong and you will probably look or at least feel foolish usually for a nanosecond before we all move on to the next attention grabbing thing. And in a digital world where everything feels so on display, that takes a level of courage and curiosity that isn't always easy. And the more you do it and the higher you go up the chain, the larger your business becomes, the larger your community becomes. I promise you that doesn't get any easier. However, as we've seen this year, for those who are willing to do it, to consistently show up at that level, The opportunities are literally limitless. So on that note, sit back, stroll on, cycle on, find a quiet corner to open that packet of biscuits that you've been hiding for the next lockdown and enjoy my conversation with the one of a kind that is Eric Bandholz. Welcome to the podcast, Eric Bantholz. What's going on, Julie? <laughs> so good to have you. So good to have you. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick off. Um, I'm gonna go old school with the podcast. When I first started, I used to always start with with this one question. I'm I'm bringing it back now, especially for you today. I'm gonna kick off with whether you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert, and and. I wanted to put that in here today because firstly, it's a myth. I think that most people believe that if you're going to put something out there, an idea, a brand, a business, you're going to step up, be seen that you need to be an extrovert. And I'm just, I'm fact checking that myth because I don't really buy it. And secondly, because you created this incredible business around yourself, I think that this is a really interesting question to start with. So kicking over to you, introvert or extrovert? Yeah. You know, uh, I'm big into uh, Myers-Briggs. So I got, uh, we actually do Myers-Briggs as uh, part of our uh, interview process at Beard Brand. So I could, could probably dig down a little bit deeper if you wanted to it. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm right in the middle when it comes to extrovert, introvert. Uh, I would say like if you had to put a gun to my head, I am an extrovert. I do get energized by being around people. I do like putting on a show 
Uh, I do like kind of uh, going to networking events, but at the same time, they can be exhausting and I will need my, my recharge time with either by myself or, or with just like my, my wife. Um, so, you know, I'm not like exclusively one or the other. Some are kind of closer to the middle. Somewhere in the middle. It's amazing how frequently that response comes up that we, we're not that easily defined. We usually sit somewhere in the middle. So I wanted to start by talking to you about, about pivoting. I, it was an interesting timing around about the time I was doing my research to, to come and chat with you today. I got a question from a, a listener that was saying, can you, can you do an episode on pivots on people that have built influence in one area and then have to go and recreate somewhere else? And you started out as a financial advisor, right? Which is just a massive pivot from, from I just had this thing in my head. I was like from budgets to beards. How does that how does that come about? Talk to me about that journey. Yeah, I would say my whole my whole career is really just a series of of pivots. I uh, uh, when I I graduated in college with a degree in marketing management and a minor in retail. Um, so if you just jumped from college until now, I'm I'm the one person doing what their degree was for. <laughs> that makes you a rarity. Yeah, yeah. In the process, uh, I ended up uh, trying to be a salesperson, and there's really no college degree for being sales, so that's why I gravitated towards marketing. Um, out of college, I sold. Uh, I worked for Dell Computers, selling laptops and computers, and then I worked for a company selling uh, networking equipment for uh, Cisco Systems, lead generations, and then I did another pivot. Uh, I did sales for a commercial printing company, so brochures and marketing materials. And then I did another pivot and uh, tried a couple of businesses that didn't get off the ground, uh, executive recruiting uh, with my dad. Uh, and that was during uh, 2008 when everyone was losing their jobs. So uh, recommendation for anyone out there trying to get into executive search, don't do it when people are firing people. And a couple other like e-commerce businesses I tried. And then uh, I got the job at uh, at the mega bank uh, as a financial advisor. And to me, like... Um, I've always been into finance. Um, so a lot of these things may seem like kind of like big pivots, but they've always been interest of mine. So I've, I've always been involved in financial advice. I've, I've, I've been kind of a shrewd uh, with my, my own personal finances. I save a lot and I, I don't spend a lot of money. And then, uh, you know, printing, I'm into design. I'm kind of like a, a self-taught graphic designer. And then after working at, uh, at the bank, doing financial advising, I actually pivoted into uh, essentially freelance graphic design. So I was building websites for people. So yeah, I kind of, uh, I enjoy learning. Like I enjoy the thrill of, you know, trying something new, like the, the tedious task of mastering something is not really uh, entertaining to me. I just really kind of like that, that initial sprint to learn something. And then once I get like 80% of the way there, I usually call it good and, and move on to the next thing. And I think this is something that isn't, I don't feel like it's talked about a lot. And that's if you, when you look at somebody that has become successful in a particular space or has stood out in a particular space and then become successful, it's usually because they combine all the different worlds that they've had mastery in before. They don't usually, you know, wake up one morning, decide to start a business and boom, it's a journey where you're learning one thing, learning another, learning to speak the language of one target market or one realm. And then you come and you create a space where you get to combine all those worlds. Was that what it felt like when you decided to, to start what you do now? Did it feel like a combining of all the worlds together? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, um, 
There's certain traits that, you know, it's funny you ask that question because I've actually said that before. Like beard brand is almost an extension of, of all my passions in life. And it kind of came into to one company, you know, like I, I built the website on day one, you know, I was able to, to launch it. I, I did all the identity. I designed the logo. Uh, I did all the photography, all the creative aspects of it. And then uh, the products, I love the products, uh, grooming products that we make and being able to formulate that, getting into, you know, like our own little kitchen and, and making our own little products and then, uh, getting into, um, um, like the, the business aspect and e-commerce and building a company that can scale. And, you know, ultimately I, I feel like probably the, the, the first roadblock I, roadblock I had with a business that was outside my comfort zone was really like management. I, I think like, um, I have a lot of theories on, on management and, and very like philosophies on how I think, uh, management should, should happen, but it's not something that uh, I'm really passionate about. Like I love my team and I love the people, but management's not something that's, that's really fun for me, but everything else, you know, and of course like growing beards and grooming beards, uh, grooming hair was, was right up my alley. So it's been, uh, you know, really it's been a dream come true to be able to have this job. Let's get, touch on that. Let's talk about beards and, and grooming. Now I'm not obviously a, a an expert in this field. <laughs> I have a husband with a beard. That's, that's about as, as close to it as I get. So what happened there? You've done all these, you've done all these different iterations, all these different, um, learning journeys. And then you wake up one morning and was it an, was it an aha moment? I want to get into, I want to build a brand around beards and, and grooming. Was it just a passion side hustle on the side that you were playing with that then just suddenly took off? Yeah. It, uh, a little of both. I had, uh, like I said, I worked at the mega bank and, uh, as a financial advisor, they kind of encourage you to look a certain way. Uh, the way I would describe it is like an all American boy, which is just kind of like a, a side part, uh, haircut, you know, completely shaved, uh, suit and tie. And, uh, yeah, that's th- not a bad style. I think it's a fine style, but it's not really one that I identified with. I, I remember like going back to my time in college and always wanting to have some kind of facial hair. I'd always experiment with different facial hairstyles. Granted, it was, it was pretty short back then and, and I couldn't grow a beard like I can now, but um, it was something that I just always felt was part of me. And I remember very clearly like the counselors in college saying like, if you ever have a job interview, the first thing that you always do is shave. And I, I always kind of had this baggage with me that you had to look a certain way and act a certain way and shave your beard off. And then it's like, if you take a job, you know, without a beard, then you kind of have this pressure to, to maintain that look. and. You never feel comfortable growing that beard out. So uh, I, I ended up quitting uh, working as a, the financial advisor and decided to, you know, start this graphic design business. And in the process, I was going to grow my beard. And I had, I had done like a couple of grows in the past, you know, in between uh, uh, my commercial printing job and my uh, executive recruiting job. I, I had grown out a little bit of beard and I decided I was going to grow it really long, like six months or a year or something like that. So it was in this process of growing my beard that I was still involved in the business community. I go to these events and people would call me Duck Dynasty. They would call me ZZ Top, Grizzly Adams, you know, all the traditional stereotypes of, of bearded guys. And those are all like really cool dudes. But again, they're, they're not they're not me. My hands were made for keyboards. I got some of the softest hands you can imagine. Like I'm not a burly lumberjack type of guy. And, um, I ended up going to this uh, event in Portland, Portland, Oregon. And it was at that event that I started to meet other people like me. And I met, I remember meeting like doctors and lawyers and entrepreneurs and salespeople and 
you know, even like a minister and then they all had like these pretty gnarly beards. And I realized there was this whole community of guys that didn't fit the traditional stereotype of, of what it meant to have a beard. And it was my goal to really kind of identify who these people were, who we'd end up calling urban beardsmen, and then you create a community for them, um, which uh, Beard Brand was going to do. So Beard Brand created a community for urban beardsmen to give them the tools they needed to feel confident about their style. And uh, that was kind of my mission on on day number one. It, it just kind of hit me all at once. I was just trying to like describe who I was and describe what an urban beardsman was. And, and uh, it started, you know, so that was February of 2012. For that first year, it was just pure content. We, we just created some YouTube videos and a blog and a Tumblr page, which maybe not a lot of people uh, remember. Uh, but th- that was just, it was like a side project for me. And just, I'm going to pause you there because there was a, a bit there that, that I think we can just dive into a little bit more. You know, you said you, you started a YouTube video, um, YouTube channel, Tumblr. Was it, was it a very specific choice to start making videos on YouTube as in to just to hit that kind of video channel first? Cause you could have done a blog, you could have, you could have done news, there's any number of things that you could have done. Was it that it was easy to get into, just set up a camera and go, or, or was it something about YouTube that really appealed to you? Yeah. So the, the, the funny thing about me back in 2011, 2012 is I had no idea how to do business. Like I, I just, the, the concept, like I wanted to be an entrepreneur so bad. I just wanted, I was, I was your typical entrepreneur, you know, like it just, I thought that if I got a, you know, a secretary of the state business license, then I had a business and I was finally like an entrepreneur. And, and I realized that wasn't the case. Like I just, I, I, I didn't even know what to do. So I was, I'm your, your typical like ideas guy, like um, my friends, especially back at this time, whenever I'm bored, I, I can generate uh, I, more ideas than I know what to do with. I have this just endless supply of ideas. So Beard Brand was another one of these ideas. And I shared this idea with my friend, John, John Reisinger. And I'm like, John, I got this idea for Beard Brand. Always had the vision. You know, I want to unite the community. Let's do, let's do it. And he's like, yeah, man, let's do it. He's just like me. He's like an ideas guy. He's like, yeah, man, let's do it. We'll, uh, we'll do a YouTube channel and we'll, uh, we'll do a Tumblr. So he, I think he, like he set up, uh, the, the, the YouTube channel or something. And I set up, I bought the domain, I built the website and he like created some videos. And now he doesn't have a beard at all. And his videos were just like super weird. It was just him like browsing the, the internet on his computer. And his, his idea was he was going to like tell the story of how we we're going to build this, this company, Beard Brain. Well, John being the typical ideas guy that he is, like after two months, he got bored and he had like a little kid or something. He moved on to his next little project and I'm just sitting here with like uh, all these assets. So we had created, you know, a little bit of content, but I'm like, well, you know, I still like this idea. I still enjoy beards. I still enjoy talking about it. So after he kind of like flaked out, I just kept it going on autopilot. So, and then uh, on YouTube, I had created this one, one video called how to grow a beard. And for a channel that had, you know, less than uh, 300 subscribers, it ended up getting in my mind at that time. And I would say true, like it, it kind of went viral, it ended up getting, you know, like 50,000 views or a hundred thousand views or something like that. Something that was like unreal to me at the time. And it was at that point I realized, well, on this YouTube thing, if people like this video, I want to start making more content like that. So I ended up like how to, you know, style your mustache or how to style your hair. And, and that kind of gave me a little bit of direction of, of where to move the channel. But when I started, I never had a vision for 
what the YouTube channel was going to be or the type of content that we we're going to put on the YouTube channel. We we're just going to put stuff up <laughs> with, with like no direction at all. Um, so the only vision I really had was, was about the company, but, but no vision on the tactics or, or not even vision on the products we would carry. And I think firstly, I just, I love those people, right. That you, you surround yourself with, with at the beginning of an idea. Cause you tend to surround yourself with people who are like you in the beginnings and you're like, yeah, it's, it's, it's an awesome idea. Let's do it. Let's do it. And it was similar with this podcast. You know, I sat down with someone that had worked with me for many years and she was like, let's do it. We're going to make it happen. And then we kind of, we made it happen and, and her life evolved. And then there's this moment, right. Where you sit down and you go, right. I'm okay. This is, this is on me now. I've got to, I've got to do this thing. I've actually got to figure out. <laughs> I've got to figure out what to do, what to say. Did you sit there before the first videos that you made and just go, I, I don't even know what to say. Uh, you know, no, I, I think like I've always had, uh, maybe I'm a little humble, uh, or more humble than, than I should be or something. But I, um, I never thought anyone was ever going to watch the videos. So when no one, when you think that no one's going to consume your content, you, you really don't care right? You just, you just produce something that, you know, comes to your mind. And like I said, I'm an ideas guy. So an idea comes to my mind and I just turn on the camera and I talk about it. And then if no one watches it, no one watches it. And someone does watch it, then cool. You know, like that's, that's extra special and, and try to learn from all the data that I can get, but just have real low expectations. Maybe that's what it is. Not humble. I've, I've just got low expectations. But I think that that's a genius way to start something. Just take the pressure off, play, experiment, assume that no one's going to watch us. And even if they do, they'll move on with their attention to something else two minutes later. Like give yourself that kind of creative freedom. Yeah, I mean, and the reality is uh, no one really cares about you. <laughs> you know, like it, uh, so true. As much as you wish they did, like, you know, any video I ever produced about like me or about Beard Brand, it gets like terrible, relatively speaking, engagement, you know? So outside of a few like really remarkable people in the world, you know, like the Beyonce's of the world, uh, no one, no one gives a damn. Everyone cares about themselves. So we always wanted to try to focus on our customers and, and serving them and giving them the content that uh, would bring value to their lives rather than trying to, to make ourselves celebrities. So what did you, you talked about that kind of those first couple of videos that started getting some real traction. What did you learn about online storytelling? during that period of time and the difference between firstly, you've got to get traction, right? And then you've got to get people to take action on the back of that. So two very separate phases. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like I've never put any kind of strategic thought into storytelling. So I feel like it, it's something that generally comes naturally to me. Like it's just kind of exciting to, to have a, like I get these visions and I guess the vision is the storytelling. And then I just want to, I just want to tell that, that vision. Like for instance, in the early days, um, one of our products, the name is tree ranger. It, if you think about it now, it's okay, cool. That's a cool name tree ranger. Um, but if you actually think about it the way that, that I first used it, it was really kind of lame. So I had a, a friend in Spokane, Washington, who was a Washington state forester. And, uh, we would get together for like, uh, this, uh, beard beard club and we would get together and drink beers like once a month or something like that once every few weeks and he came to a few events and after a couple beers like i i could not remember for the life of me what he did i could not remember that he was a forester and i'm just like i'm just struggling everyone's like laughing at me trying to like remember and he's not helping me out he's not telling me and uh, i'm like what are you some kind of like tree ranger or something 
and uh in like in this like you know drunken drunken state like everyone's laughing everyone's having a good time i'm like that tree ranger word like that's a that's a really cool word and, and i think like those two words might have never been uttered you know back to back like i google it and like no results come up for tree ranger and uh you know the domain of course treeranger.com is available and i'm like you know what i like that so we've got uh, a name right and then now we have a name we have kind of a story for a product and then what what kind of fragrances is a tree ranger or a forester going to smell like and clearly that's you know like woodsy fragrances eucalyptus pine cedar um so so we started with that, the formulation and, and that was our number one selling product for uh i mean for a really long time and uh you know it, we we had the strategy of like okay we're going to do kind of like abstract names like tree ranger where you don't know what's in it and then we were going to do like tea tree and then uh which was one of the the ingredients in our fragrance and then we did a uh, spice citrus which was more of description of the fragrance and we were just going to to kind of test and compare because we had no idea if tree ranger was going to do well or if people would get confused with that and and end up just going with like something like tea tree with with what they're familiar with uh so that was uh, you know a lot of fun and a lot of expert experimenting in the early days but eight years later i kind of wish we gave all of our products you know a name like that because it has resonated so well to be able to have a story aligned with the fragrances and that's the, the being able to tell the background story to something i i think that that's hugely underestimated in terms of in terms of cut through you know there's the the background story behind a brand the background story of as to how you got exactly where you are, the background story um, that your customers are facing on a, on a daily basis, you know, or how you came up with the name, you know, any kind of background behind the scenes story tends to get really good cut through. Is that something that you've also found? I, I think what people will think of me, generally speaking, is that I'm authentic. And I think by telling stories and being vulnerable and being transparent, then you build authenticity. And your goal is like, uh, or our goal at Beard Brand, I should say, is like we we want to develop relationships with our customers in a way that they know and trust us. One of our core values is trust. So part of building trust is is being vulnerable and being transparent and letting them know the history of things and and kind of welcoming them welcoming them into your own world. So um, we always work hard to to build trust and then try to keep that trust as well. Uh, knowing that they have the freedom to to buy from us or buy from you know uh, like thousands of of alternatives on the marketplace, including like no alternative, right? So um, it, that's been really important to us, and and we also have like a, a most companies have like a five year plan. I think we have like a twenty year plan or a thirty year plan where we're trying to build a sustainable business that you know maybe is generational. You know maybe uh, I've got a, a five month old, maybe. And a six six year old, maybe one of them uh, could take it over, or one of my, maybe one of my uh, business partners' kids could take it over, and and kind of like uh, build a legacy uh, rather than just try to build something to to sell it and and get on the cover of a magazine and you know uh, do the tour tour circuit, you know something that's just a little more meaningful for us. So I think it's, uh, I, I mean, I think it's fun, you know. I I think uh, you only have one life, so try to build a business that you really enjoy. And when did you realize that it was a business? And I'm just listening to you talk and there's, there's usually this moment or series of moments where you think, oh, oh my God, like this is, a, this is a thing. It's an actual thing now. You know, it's gone from being a little passion project that only I care about and now it's walking and talking all by itself. Yeah, so with Beard Brand, it was, it was a very specific event that happened. Um, 
it was always a, a side project. It was always an idea. It was always like, a, you know, the, the next great thing from me that uh, wasn't ever going to get up until um, I ended up going to a startup weekend event. And uh, for those who aren't familiar, startup weekend is basically you pitch an idea for a business among, you know, like hundreds of other people, the top 10 ideas end up um, getting voted on and, and you form these little teams. And in these little teams over the course of the weekend, you try to build a minimal viable product or MVP for the business. And then you give a presentation at the end and the company or the group that that had like the best idea and best execution uh, will be the winner. So it was at a startup weekend that uh, my business partners, Jeremy and Lindsay and I, uh, we're all on a group together. And it was at that startup weekend that we realized that we're really philosophically aligned with how we work and how we see the world and our core values. And it was at that point after doing that event that we're like, hey, let's start a business. Let's actually do it. The, the three of us or the four of us, there's a fourth uh, founder in there uh, who's no longer with the, the team. Um, but uh, we're like, yeah, let's let's turn this into a business. And uh, the four of us, we, we were going to work with... Um, Josh, Josh was the fourth uh, founder. He had this idea for uh, like a staffing company. So I'm back in the staffing world, but he wanted to build this like pre-selected candidate pool for businesses. His other, his other business was in staffing. And then after working on that for about a month, uh, he got cold feet and he didn't want to cannibalize his, his core business. So we're like, that's cool. We don't want to, we don't want to cause stress on your, your breadwinner. So I had beard brand and I'm like, well, I got beard brand and just coincidentally, uh, a reporter for the New York Times is, is contacted me and is going to quote me in this article. Why don't we? Why don't we see if we can uh, make something out of this? I've got a I've got a buddy who makes some grooming products. We can we can resell his products and we'll see if there's anything from there. So it was a very like MVP style uh, build to the company. Like we we put no money into it. It's literally like the the thirty dollar investment into Shopify store and in a promise. Uh, to, to to pay for the products that was how we started. And it was at that point that I knew the company was a business. Now, the, the, the question is like, at what point does it become, you know, a business that just supports me or a business that just makes some money on the side or a business that can build a team? And we went through like several stages with that. And uh, I guess it wasn't until probably September. Uh, so we launched in, in January of 2013. It wasn't until September of 2013 when we decided to, to make a first hire that we kind of committed to growing something beyond just like a pure lifestyle, one man band kind of show. And so I want to just hone in on that. So you launched in January, September, you made a decision or you were looking to make a decision about hiring. Let's just look at the in-between there because you've, you've launched your website and the next natural question that comes from that is traffic, right? Like I think it's a big myth in, in the side hustle world and the entrepreneurial world that, you know, build it and they will come. I'm just going to build this website and people will find me. And, and usually they won't unless you've already got a massive list to start out with. What did you learn about getting traffic in that in that early time, actually driving people to the site? Yeah, one of the benefits of building a business that you just love, like not just loving the aspect of building the business, but also loving what the business is doing for society and the world is like, you got all the energy in the world to talk about it all the time. Um, I remember in those early days, and really still to this point, that 24-7, my mind's thinking about Beard Brand. Like it's, it's nonstop. Like- 
to probably to the extent that it's it's you know strain on other relationships that I have. Um, I, I would internalize a lot of it, so I wasn't always sharing my thoughts on Beard Brand. But so so twenty four seven for like the first two or three years of my life were were just thinking about Beard Brand. And when you're thinking about something, you're so passionate about something, you have no problem just talking about it. So I would just share things. I would talk about it. I would get on Reddit. I would get on Tumblr. I would get on YouTube. I would get on uh, Twitter. I would anywhere on social media. I had more time than money. So I'm just using my time to to talk about Beard Brand all the time. And uh, pretty much those, those first few months were all organic. You know, we would just, I would just talk about Beard Brand and I would talk about growing my beard and I would share you know, what I was going on with my beard and I would share what's going on with beard brand. And those, those things kind of helped get in front of uh, relevant people and kind of spread the word in those early days when you, you really didn't have any money. Are there any strategies that you learned during that time that you're still using now or have they all evolved? Yeah. I mean, uh, we're, we're a big fan of organic content. I mean, I think it's, it's really, really hard, but when you have a five or 10 or 20 year outlook, then it, it just makes sense to invest in organic content. So, uh, organic content for us is uh, YouTube. We have a couple of YouTube channels and then we also do a fair amount of blogging, uh, on our website and then, um, email marketing. I think a lot of people don't think of email marketing as organic content, but really if, if you're focused on bringing value to your customers, then it's completely different strategy than trying to push at, you know, like promotions or deals or sales or whatever. So our email channels as much uh, content as our blog is. And it's just very quickly, there's going to be some people who are at a very different stage of the journey listening to this. Let's just touch on funnels. Um, can you explain to me the funnel strategy you use in probably in a couple of ways? First, you know, highly simplistic for someone who's just starting out. And then secondly, for people who have been in this world, nurturing, email nurturing for a long time, what are some of the strategies that you use? Yeah, um, we do kind of divvy up our funnel top, medium, bottom, like most companies. When we think of top funnel, our strategy is how do we get beard brand in front of as many people as possible, as cheaply as possible. Um, that's the goal is like, how do we introduce people to the brand? So to us, the cheapest way to get in front of, of individuals is organic. It's still organic. So that's why we put so much into our YouTube channels, into our blogs, um, is because it's just a great way to, to get our company in, in front of people. Once, um, once they're to the website, then you're able to kind of um, nurture them a little bit more. So you get the, uh, like the pixel that will notify that they visited your website. So then you're able to put some ads up on YouTube. So we do YouTube ads. Um, and then we'll also, uh, do ads on Facebook. And again, like we're trying to, you know, they've, they've just, just briefly had exposure to beard brand. Now we want to help them understand what beard brand is, what we're about, what the company is about. And this is the whole process of moving down the, the funnel. And, and really the analogy for, for trying to win a customer is, is very similar to the analogy of like going on a date or trying to, to woo a prospective individual. Um, you, you can't be going for the home run, um, you know, trying to take them to bed uh, <laughs> on like within one. a minute. Yeah. Yeah. On day one within a couple of drinks or something. So we, we, <laughs> we, we understand that And you know, like granted, like with a $20 product, it's, 
the the time period is probably shortened compared to you know an automobile or a house or something like that. But uh, it is it is very much um, the same process where you have to build trust and you have to uh, say like, hey, yeah, you want to go on a date with me because you know I'm going to make your life better. I mean that's ultimately the reality. Like the only reason you date people is because you feel like it enhances your life. Um, so the only reason people buy beard brand is because they believe it's going to enhance their life and we just got to help them, you know, understand that. Um, so there's a lot of different things like talking about our guarantee or free swaps or, you know, and everyone has their different objections, you know, um, some people are more price sensitive. Some people want the best, you know, some people, um, have more money than time or, or some people have more time than money. So it's always just trying to get the right message in front of the right people. And to do that, you need to create tons of different content and beautifully like facebook and instagram i guess they're both facebook but uh google and and facebook they've got great tools where they really understand their audience and you're able to leverage that and and get the right message in front of the right people most of the time and i think what you're talking about there is is contributing right that you're you're constantly out there contributing you're putting out valuable content you're even when you're retargeting you're retargeting with useful valuable contribution based content and i noticed again when i was looking into um looking into you and and, and beer brand there was something that was said where that you had made a commitment and tell me if this is wrong that you intended to post only how-to videos on youtube and i thought that's a massive that's a massively strategic smart decision because firstly you know that's a contribution based strategy that's what that's what we're looking for right secondly you know if you look at way the way search is changing towards more voice based search i think in 2022 it's some crazy percentage the majority of search will be voice based either google home alexa and when we search using our voice we search in questions right like that's that's how we search so if you own the question and the answer to the question you're going to you're going to come up top was that a strategic decision to focus on how to's or was that just, you know, this is my preference in terms of, of a content style. Yeah. I think, um, you know, how to's are, are something that, that we do a fair amount. Uh, we're not exclusive to it, so we will do other types of content. Uh, it would get pretty challenging if, if we limited ourselves to, to only how to, because there's, there's only so many videos I feel like you can, can make on that, but we do try to be educational and, and we try to take, you know, like the, the whole 80, 20 rule of life or 90, 10 rule where, you know, you, you, you give away 80% of your content will be giving away value or, and then uh, that other 20% or that other 10% will be kind of self-promotional. And a lot of times that we can integrate that self-promotional content within, um, value stuff. So a how to is a perfect example because we'd be like, here's how to, trim your beard. And then in part of the process of trimming your beard, after you're done, you condition it with, you know, what other than beard, you know, beard brand products. So um, there's ways of, of being able to do that where you can bring value and kind of like introduce your products without even selling your products at all. You just kind of like, this is what you do. Uh, you don't think twice about it. So um, I think where a lot of e-commerce business owners struggle is they, they get in this mindset of me, 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 me. And I would love to talk about beard brand products all day long. And I'd love to, you know, talk about our process and what we've been through and the decisions we make. But the reality is most people don't care about that. So if if we did that, we would not get the same kind of engagement that we get 
we want to be able to get the exposure to a, a larger audience that we get. And uh, it wouldn't really be effective as a top of funnel strategy. So maybe it would be more of a, a bottom of a funnel strategy if if that was the type of content that you were going to produce. So uh, it's not to say it's right or wrong. It's just uh, how we've been uh, executing on on our vision. I think I, I don't think that's just a challenge that e-commerce faces the, you know, the desire to just talk about me and my products and, you know, why I'm so passionate as opposed to the questions that your target market are posing about your space. I think that's a, that's a challenge that goes across politics right now. I think it's a challenge that goes across not-for-profits, movements, you know, anybody that's trying to get attention and convert it into action. I think that that brain flip is really important. Um, let's talk about creativity. And it sounds like you, it, it may or may not be a struggle for you. I think for a lot of people, you sit down, you go, right, I'm going to create some compelling content that I can put out into the world that's going to draw attention or draw people into something that I think is pretty special. Do you sit there with a blank piece of paper and sweat it? Or do you just, do you have a process? Do you have some form of planning meeting? How do you go about coming up with all of these ideas? <laughs> I developed some really bad habits in uh, grade school. I'm, uh, I, I would say I'm, I'm generally, you know, uh, in, intelligent enough to like solve problems quickly. So uh, the, 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 the nice thing about being able to solve problems quickly is you can solve problems quickly. The downside of being able to solve problems quickly is that you end up procrastinating and you don't do any planning and you don't do any work. So my content, the way I produce is very much that same way. Like I'll be like, okay, it's uh, Tuesday and I need a good video up on Wednesday and uh, I got no ideas, but uh, let's just go up and turn on the camera and I'll just ramble for a good, you know, 10 minutes and then uh, we'll see if anything sticks. <laughs> and then uh, if it doesn't stick, oh, well, you know, we'll just get another one out. Um, but I'm never going to be these one of these people who can just do these like amazing type of content pieces because I just don't have like the, the patience and the planning skills to be able to do that so um but the the beauty of creating is it is like exercise you know the, the more you run the faster you get the more you create the the easier it becomes and and the more you'll be able to be immersed in what your audience is looking for as well because every video we post now you're getting people commenting on them like hey what about this or what about that and especially if you're very authentic and you uh, encourage people to to leave comments and engage with you then you're able to start with those questions and then it's just like a, you know, a content farm. You're just able to just like, okay, here's a video, here's a video, here's a video, and just bang, 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 bang. I love that term, content farm. Um, but there's an energy to that as well, I think. There's an, there's an energy to just getting up, showing up. There's a guy I met who just committed that every morning for 30 days he was going to get up just in his underpants, make a video, not post it anywhere but just make a video so he could get into that space of just getting up, talking, sharing ideas, structuring ideas. Um, but what I want to ask you next is, is what I was talking to Ben Jones from Google recently. He runs Unskippable Labs, and I'm a huge fan of the work that Unskippable Labs do, trying to decode what type of storytelling gets attention on YouTube and, and, and what doesn't. And he was talking about this thing called the vanilla ice cream problem. And the vanilla ice cream problem being that what we love to consume as individuals is diverse. It's raw. It's real. It, it, it's quirks and all. It's reality TV. There's, there's a bunch of different faces and stories and behind the scenes. This is what we love to consume. This is what gets traction. And yet when we're designing something to put out there in the world, 
out of fear and, and legacy, what we tend to assume is that we like all the flavors of ice cream in our content consumption, but that our target market only likes vanilla. That our target market likes, you know, ads to be a certain way and videos to be a certain way and beautifully produced and high quality and, and no rough, you know, rough around the edges bits. And yet you've created an entire following around just exactly what you described. The energy, the authenticity of you getting up there and just sharing what you're passionate about, you know, rough edges and all. Have you... <laughs> Have you ever been tempted? Have you ever felt the temptation as you've grown to step away from that kind of raw bootstrapping energy into, you know, more what people would call sophisticated, traditional advertising world? I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I've, I've got a, a lot of things to, to kind of talk about that, you know, like personally, like um, at times I, I'm kind of like dyslexic. I trip over my words. Uh, but it's been that way my whole life. So it doesn't bother me. So like I will upload videos where, you know, I'll literally say the wrong word and, you know, like most people would, you know, want to retake it. And and I think that's okay as well. I don't think there's a, a right or wrong to that. If, if you feel like people may not interpret your message correctly, I, um, uh, you know, for me right now, I'm, I'm going through this fr- phase where I've been creating videos for eight years and I've been creating videos on, you know, beards. Uh, specifically as a primary subject matter for the content I produce. And if you think about that, Julie, how many videos can you make about beards? I would say for me, two, possibly. Okay, you know, two. The answer is really one. Like, how do you grow a beard? You just wait. And that's like the extent of, of all the content you can make on beards. So, so subsequently, I've, I've, made, I've made every video you can make. And... Well, I'm sure there's there's new videos I can make. I'm sure inspiration should come. But like the, the big winners, like the home run videos that are really going to to drive that top of funnel, like I've created them. What I've done to keep myself sane, for lack of better terms, is like I recognize that I'm, I'm saying the same thing over and over again. Like for, for the past eight years, I continue to say the same thing. But it, it's first of all, it's to a new audience, like people who have probably not consumed those those older videos or the older content. And in addition to that, I'm, I'm, I'm literally like changing up my style. I'm, I'm getting a little more carefree, a little more bold, a little more extravagant, like a little more extroverted. Um, because to me, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun to, to play around with this different style. And, and it's interesting because I get comments of, of people who have watched maybe some of my, my more laid back or chill delivery styles, and they see this new one and uh, they don't like it. Right. And they, they'll call me out on it and they'll say, you know, like, go back to what you're doing. Or I even had one guy tell me I was destroying my brand. And, um, you know, I just got to do it because it's what I enjoy. And in this moment of my life and yeah, maybe I'll go back to a more chill delivery style in the future. Or if I get different inspiration for different types of content, it may cause me to go a little more subtle, but it's just something that uh, I don't know. It's just kind of ingrained in me. I think I got something, you know, some part of my, my mom's got it as well. It's just something turned off in my brain where I, I don't really, like, I care about what people want. I have empathy and I want to please people and I want to make them happy. But at the same time, like, I'm just like too blunt to actually do it. I just like, I just, I'm just kind of like a bull in a, a China shop. And I'm like, ah, well, I'm just going to do it. And then I'll kind of kind of work my way out of it if I, I really like screw it up. 
I don't know where I was going with that. That was that was probably my most rambling, non-coherent story of of this whole thing. <laughs> no, the, the the thing that I that I took from that, and I'm just working through it in my brain, is that if you're going to do this in the for the long run, if you're in this for the for the long haul, and this is like you said, something that you're creating a legacy with, then there's going to come various points throughout that journey where you evolve into the next whatever, next phase, next chapter. And there's certain parts of your audience that will evolve with you and love it. And certain parts of your audience that won't and they'll, you know, they'll go find someone else. And it's the same. I think every business owner has, has been through this with staff as well. You know, you reach a new iteration of the business. Those that loved the energy of the first bit may not be able or want to, or be suitable to come with you for the second part. And it might be the best for everybody to part ways at that point. But what you can't do is you can't let that pushback stop you from evolving because your, your business lives and dies on your energy. And if what you were doing before no longer energizes you, then it's got a natural shelf life at that point anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you really, uh, pretty much summed it up perfectly. I think, uh, you know, I, I talk about creativity coming easy, but it would be disingenuous to, to make it, make the listeners feel like that's always the case. I certainly deal with burnout or moments of, um, lack of inspiration for content. And, and, you know, sometimes it is just producing the exact same content in a new way. And that's where you get that new creative spirit from. So it is a grind. Like YouTube's a grind. If you're going to produce videos on YouTube, or really any kind of organic content, you have to plan on being able to do it for, for not like a couple of months or a couple of pieces of content. You've got to plan on doing it for years. So like you have to be ready to struggle uh, along the, the journey and, and suffer through it to be able to, to see the rewards of it. The, the people who don't have that resilience or that perseverance, they're not going to find success on organic traffic. They're always going to be spending their money on ads, chasing them. Um, you know, the next sale, what kind of discount can they do to, to boost their sales to pay their debts? And you've also got to learn to let it go, right? I mean, I know when, when I first started this podcast, th- there was nothing I was willing to let go. Like every episode had to be edited, take out the ums and the ahs and the pauses and the rambles and the, and as you show up more and more and more frequently, I think to, for me, just speaking personally, two things start to happen. One is you realize that, again, if you are committed to this for the long haul, if this is a contribution that you want to make, you're going to have to learn to let some things go because otherwise it's it's not sustainable. And the second thing that, that I learned was actually it's those bits that resonate, right? Like it's the, the energy of it that resonates with people. It's not the perfection. It's not the tightly edited, perfect piece. It's the energy of people watching you in your process that creates a community. And again, I think that's massively underestimated that people want to see you not in your perfection, but in your process. Yeah. And I think there's a, a place for anything. You, you asked earlier about like upping the production quality and, and we've, uh, we've started playing around with that, but we've done it in a way that I feel like kind of keeps the spirit of beard brand alive you know like it, it's okay to like get better audio and get better lighting and get better camera and tell a better story like you don't have to be you know purposefully bad like there is always going to be that evolution and you should expect to grow and i i, I feel like 
Um, like if you're not willing to open up and, and try, like we, we've gotten into like product advertising. So we have just like, um, you know, cool B roll of our bottles getting tossed in the air or something like that with snazzy music and after effects, but we've done it all in house. So like all these things are things that we learned in house and we grew in house and we're able to execute on rather than, you know, this big, almost like doing something outside of your your pay grade or your skill level. And I, I almost feel like that's that's what you need to aim to avoid because that's when you're going to get burned where your capabilities can only do so much, but you're aiming for something higher. And because of that, you're, you're putting yourself in a, a bad position. It's almost like if you're a small company starting out and you don't have very good logistics built out, your your crappy marketing that only appeals with one out of you know a hundred prospective prospects is probably good because uh, if it appealed to a hundred of them, you you wouldn't be able to fulfill it. So as your company gets better operationally, you know, and and less of your brain power goes to that, then you have more brain power to go to creating good content. And it's kind of like the cycle where your operations and your marketing are able to to grow together and. We've kind of talked about this a lot with my business partners is, you know, like beard brain grew at the the right speed, you know, like the, the egotistical person in me and the, the, the really driven person in me, like wanted to grow faster than we grew, you know, like, but what if, what if we grew so fast that, you know, put a toll on our cash flows and ended up bankrupting us, or we made a debt, a deal with a retailer who, you know, went belly up and, you know, like all these things that happen in business when you when growth is your number one metric that may end up putting your business at risk. So I think it's it's kind of going back to what I talked about earlier is enjoying the journey, um, because if you can enjoy your journey, you're there. There is no end goal. And, um, you know, that's building a business. Uh, there is no end of business. It also takes you to some surprising places. And that actually segues perfectly into what I wanted to talk to you about next. Your your YouTube channel, I mean, I've got some stats here. They may they may be out of date. I'm not sure. You know, has had nearly 250 million views. Um, you've put out 1.2 thousand videos, um, 1.5 million subscribers. And, and it got me thinking that that could well be a surprising side effect of what you've done that not, not you went in trying to build a business. You went in trying to build a brand and in doing that, the way that you have done it, which is contribution based, showing up based, you know, authentic, real, you have also created this online community, which I'm assuming now can drive ad revenue. Like your, your channel itself is now a business. Is that, well, firstly, is that true? And secondly, was that something you worked towards or was that just one moment where you woke up and went, oh my goodness, like this is a whole new stream of revenue we didn't even see coming? Yeah, we uh, I mean, we do generate revenue uh, on YouTube, but we probably view it uh, differently. We really reinvest all that. So the revenue we generate uh, on our YouTube videos, we, we use to pay our video editor, we use to pay for camera gear, uh, we used to, to just like really reinvest in the channel to, to develop relationships with uh, other creators like Greg Brzezinski and um, Ben Wilson, Carlos Costa. All those are, are kind of like pulled out of that budget. So it's nice to be able to have uh, revenue coming in that uh, we're not entirely subsidizing uh, the cost of, of video production. So it does make it uh, very sustainable to do in the long haul. 
And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, there's, there's nothing like YouTube. YouTube's such an amazing platform to be able to just be able to grow organically and not only be able to grow organically, but, but get paid while you're doing it. Like it just blows my mind that, that you wouldn't want to be on YouTube with, with the opportunities that are there. And I think also it speaks to a trend that I've been really kind of in awe of over this past few months, specifically during lockdown and COVID-19, as people try and find different ways to, to monetize, you know, their ideas versus, you know, the showing up that we're not able to do anymore in person. And I think we're going to see this massive new trend now of, of people almost selling their marketing, which is so interesting to me. I know a few people who have a huge subscription base, you know, they put out a newsletter, it's useful, it's helpful, but it also promotes what the, who they are and what they do. But it's got such a following that during this time, they've actually started charging for it. So if you would like to be, you know, if you would like to subscribe and continue receiving this, it's, it's $5 a month, for example. And I think that that is such an amazing pivot point to ask yourself, is your marketing so valuable that somebody would either A, pay to receive it or B, pay to be associated with it, and which is exactly, you know, you making, you know, deriving revenue from YouTube is somebody paying to be associated with the work that you do. We've never seen this before. Like this just blows my mind as a, as a new world of influence, as a new way of putting marketing out there. Do you see it evolving? How do you see that evolving? Yeah, that's, that's pretty rad. I mean, that's like, uh, you know, one of those internet memes where the, the dude's like blown his brains out or whatever. It's just like with the thought process. What is it? Uh, I'm going to try to visualize it. There's like a, there's like this a brain explosion. Brain. Yeah. Yeah. The brain explosion in different levels of energy and like getting people to pay for your marketing is, is right up there. I don't know if uh, that's not one of my goals. You know, I don't really think of it that light that way. I, I tend to just be customer focused, right? So it's just about how do I bring value to our, our customers? How do we work on our mission, which is to make men awesome? And, you know, that that's our goal in life. You know, our goal is not to drive more profits. It's not to make more money. It's to help as many men as we can become better versions of themselves. We believe that when they look, love the man looking back at them in the mirror, then they can use that love to influence their family, you know, make their family better, influence their, their career, their bosses, their employees. Uh, their team members help their business do well, and then ultimately help their community do well. Be stewards in the of the community and leaders in the community all through that that self investment in themselves. So everything we're doing is like focused on around that. And then obviously profitability is a way that allows us to amplify our voice. You know, so if we have a budget of a hundred million dollars a year, we can certainly reach more people than if we have a a, a budget of you know a million dollars a year. So um, it makes sense for us to be shrewd, uh, with our money and, and to be, um, financially wise and to be profitable and, and any kind of opportunity or channel for that is, is something that we would explore. Just as we come, as we come to a close, I just wanted to touch very briefly and you, you just, you just in introduced it so beautifully when you said that, you know, men standing up in their, in their community and, and feeling good about who they are and, and the space that they hold and their roles and relationships. And, you know, the first video, when I sat down to, to look through as many things as I could prior to this, the first video I came across, the first video that I watched was a video of you talking about the fact that you were about to take some time out. And in that, in that video, 
and we've talked previous to this conversation and, you know, you've given me permission to, to bring this in. You were talking about your journey with your, with your wife, with IVF and the many miscarriages that you have had and the tens of thousands of dollars and untold number of, of tears of that journey and, and where that led you. And you were, you were visibly emotional trying to tell that story. Now, my heart just stopped, like it just stopped anyone that follows me closely on social um, will know that, you know, I had my husband and I had also had a, a decade long journey with, with IVF. And it was what led me to step back and sell out of my, of my original business in order to feel like I'd given that particular chapter of our life as much as I, as much as I could. And other than it just being an incredible thing to see a father share his journey on this topic or a, or a father in waiting to share his journey on this topic, which just does not happen enough. It, what really hit me is what a huge decision it, it must have been for you to start talking about it, for you to share it. Can you talk to me a little bit about that particular decision and what led you to it? Yeah, well, you know, what's funny about that is uh, I, I am like uh, a very naturally transparent type of person. I'm, I'm probably like, if you want to keep a secret, then it's probably best to not tell me. I, I tend to just tell everything. And, and it's, it's almost like one of my, my therapies is to just like any problem I'm dealing with, I just start talking about it. So, um, you know, that it's kind of good and bad. And uh, like I've from, from day one with uh, dealing with infertility, I, I never had a problem talking about it or um, the issue of bringing it up. However, my wife is different. You know, she's uh, maybe a little more reserved than I am. And she, she didn't want, um, you know, especially in those early days, she may have not wanted all that information out there. So like I, the early days were really challenging for me because I couldn't talk about it. I didn't feel comfortable talking about it uh, because of respecting my, my wife's, how my wife was, was handling it and what she was going through. So um, I think, you know, for us, um, our, our second born was, uh, natural. It was, uh, you know, like, uh, the whole gift kind of thing, the unexpected, um, it, it kind of almost put a stake in our, our infertility struggles, you know, like, uh, we were, um, we were cleaning out the garage, uh, a couple of months ago and, and was setting aside, man's my wife, she was setting aside these books and, uh, I noticed like there's a whole stack of books on infertility. She, she struggled with it and read everything she could. And, and I said, okay, well, where did these go? And she's like, well, I, I think we can give them away. So it was like in the giveaway pile. And it was at that point, like hearing that from her, I'm like, okay, this part of our, like, this was the defining moment that our infertility struggles were over. And now we may continue to have miscarriages in the future. And, um, you know, we, we've got one embryo left and we'll try with that and we may have an, another failure, but I, I feel like, you know, it was kind of ending point for me. So, um, I, I, I almost feel like a little bit of responsibility, uh, giving the platform that we have to be able to help other guys and to help let them know that they're not alone and, and to, to be that lightning rod for, you know, the good and the bad. Cause if you really dig into some of those comments, you'd get, you get some pretty distasteful comments in there and, and I can handle them, you know, like I'm, I'm willing to, to, to read through those and I can, you know, deal with it so that other people don't have to deal with it. And so that other people 
recognize that they're not alone if they're doing that journey. And, and many of the, the, it was so amazing to read how many other people who struggled with it, you know, either presently or in the past and, you know, were able to have a family and grow their family. Uh, so it was a very, I mean, for me, selfishly, it was a very rewarding experience to be able to, to, to connect with so many of, uh, uh, our audience members. I mean, for me, I, I read those comments. There was, there was over a thousand of them and I, and I skimmed through and there was some, you know, there was some beautiful ones. There were some interesting ones, but by and large, it was just hugely supportive. I mean, I've got one written down here. It just says a hundred percent masculinity being displayed here, which I just thought was a beautiful, um, a beautiful comment to make. And I can understand very much your Annie's decision that she didn't want to share. And, and that was, that was kind of how I felt for a really long time. And I've heard you say this previously, you know, it's very hard to enjoy the journey of creating a family when it it's fraught with as many roadblocks and heartbreaks as it is with those that are struggling with infertility. And I remember my f- first, my daughter, my first child, I didn't even mention anything about being pregnant. I think pretty much just before I was about to give birth, that was the closest that I was willing to put that out there into the world. I almost felt like I felt like the universe had said that I couldn't have a suite and I'd stolen one and and I had it behind my back and I just didn't want to show anybody in case the universe turned around and went, no, 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 no. You know, we said you couldn't have that. Give it back, please. And, you know, I've got become more comfortable and I've had my, my son now and, you know, you use this, that beautiful language defining moment where you feel like, okay, this journey is pretty much potentially done for us now and I'm a lot more willing and open to talk about it. But there's always going to be that line, right, that really important line between um, public and private, between what you share online and, you know, we're incentivized now to share so much online. We've got the shift from brand to human. Um, you know, the more we put out of us out of ourselves out there, the more input we get back. But we've got to figure out that line, how comfortable we are with it and also the impact that it has on other people, how perfect we show our lives to be, how vulnerable we show ourselves to be and how that impacts other people. And I don't know that we've really come up with a common barometer for how to make these decisions. Is there a thought process that you go through that that make, you know makes you go, "Yep, yeah, this is something I'm willing to share." Nope, nope, this is not something I'm willing to share. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, we talked about it before we we hit record. Like anything you ask, I'll I'll talk about. So it's, uh, I, I'm an open book. Like for me, there's. Um, I, I could overshare. I could be one of those guys on, on big brother or whatever. Like it doesn't, doesn't really bother me being in, in the public eye. Um, the, the thing again, going back that I have to learn is just the, the impact on, on others. And, and I'm fortunate that my, my wife can ground me and kind of give me a perspective of maybe why it's not good to be so public, uh, for, for certain things. So, um, I don't know, like, I, I feel like I, I want to, create things that, that bring value to people's lives and, you know, showing someone how I toenail clip or something is not going to bring, you know, uh, value to their lives. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of like that point where if I'm producing content that can inspire people or can bring value to their lives or educate them, then it's probably something I want to share. But if it's something that is just like narcissism, where it's just like trying to, to pump my ego or feed my ego, um, then I'll, I'll I'll generally try to to avoid that. But again, I, I'm I'm a human, and I have my falls and flaws, and 
you know, like I certainly post stuff that I, I probably shouldn't have post uh, opinions that I have that no one gives a damn about. So, yeah, I, you know, as a journey, you learn, you make mistakes and, and you, you get better at it. Yeah. Well, that's part of showing up, right? Yeah, exactly. You got to do the work. You got to do that. It's not perfect. I think that the, the line, and I don't have the line down at all. I'm constantly playing with it, but the line that I've drawn at the moment is the difference between authenticity and intentional. So if there's something that I'm thinking that I want to share a part of my life, part of my family, a part of my story, I'll ask myself, what's the intention? Do I have an intention to help here? Or is this just like a a brain explosion, just a, a download that I want to do for my own reasons to get it off my chest or to get it out of my body? And if I feel like it's intentional, I can really own the intention of it, then I'll then I'll do it. And that's that's kind of the line that I'm playing with. But no doubt this time next week, I'll change my mind on it again. Yeah, I mean, like when you're when you're in the moment, I'm okay with just being in the moment, right? In that moment, do you feel like it's appropriate? Go with it. Like, I, I feel like if you're planning any type of content about whether or not to open up, then it's I don't know. You probably shouldn't do it. Right. I, uh, I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of life that you can just go by the gut, you know, like it doesn't have to be a rule. It doesn't have to, you know, be set up where, okay, I do this or do that. Um, just live life and experience it. And then, you know, like we're all going to die. And then two generations from now, no one's going to know who the hell we are. So like, why the hell are we worrying about it? <laughs> well, I think that's it. <laughs> That that's a pretty good point to to end on. We're we're all gonna die, so just quit worrying about it. Yeah, yeah, a good uplifting one. <laughs> all right, final final quick fire. Just one question um, before we finish up. What's the one thing? If I am I'm a listener, I wake up tomorrow morning. I'm thinking about pivoting. I'm thinking about creating a business out of my passion, starting to create some content, starting to draw attention to something that I think is important. What's the one thing? tomorrow that you want me to wake up and do step one yeah i mean so to all the people listening is like you know what you need to do you don't need to hear me tell you what to do just do the thing that you you're not doing that you know you need to do and do it like i don't know like again like uh, what we just talked about you're going to die and no one's going to know who they who you are in two generations so what's holding you back Uh, you've got the opportunity to to build an amazing life to to do something remarkable to to lead the world better than when you came and you're not doing it. Um, so why? Uh, I don't know. Like that's, that's just kind of how I think about it. Uh, from my perspective. Love that. I love that. Well, Eric, thank you so much. Thank you for your time, your generosity, your, your openness and for showing up (laughs) over and over and over again. Well, I appreciate you for having me on. It's been a great uh, pleasure to chat with you and, and hopefully the listeners uh, were able to get a nugget or two. Uh, for my words. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found tons and tons of useful ideas and insights for growing your own influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your influence journey, you want to take everything you have learned today and just ramp it up a notch, or you just want to learn more about the power of thought leadership when it comes to growing a business, an enterprise, or spreading an idea, there is now also a research paper that you can download from my website, 
juliemasters.com. Pop in your email address. It is free. We will not spam you. But it is jam-packed full of all the ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in 10 years of doing this work. It's called the Influencer Code. It's not long, but it is full of value. So download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope that it makes a massive difference in your career or business. Thank you always to our producer, co-founder, and the main brain, I'm not joking, behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an interview.